Liszt's piano sonata in B minor is unique in his output, unique from all sorts of angles. It's uniquely successful, according to some people, perhaps the most remarkably consistent and beautifully original one-movement structure he ever created. It's also unique, though, in something even as basic as that title. Liszt normally doesn't use abstract titles like Sonata in B minor. He's usually concerned to plant an idea in our heads. His most famous symphony, for instance, isn't Symphony No. 1. It's a Faust symphony. From the start, he seems to say, if you want a key to this music, look at the famous story by Goethe of Faust, who sold his soul to the devil. It's the same even with some of his shorter pieces. They often come with a kind of descriptive tag or some sort of program to point you in the right direction, to give you the basic idea before you set out on the musical journey. But the piano sonata's different. And Liszt never gave an explanation either, a program note, as to what the extra musical ideas were in his mind that set the piece in motion. Ever since then, people have been determined to try and pin it down. We'll also be discovering that Liszt made this giant of a piano sonata out of the simplest imaginable musical ideas. But how many musical ideas are there, basically? That's something else that academics and critics have argued about non-stop. So we're dealing with a rather mysterious monster. Almost 30 minutes of non-stop music, which in itself is a real challenge for the audience, let alone the pianist. There are a hell of a lot of notes, and the stamina required is pretty impressive too. advance, you probably guessed from the writing that Liszt was a brilliant pianist himself. But he wasn't just a magnificent technician. He was the embodiment of the romantic virtuoso, an almost legendary figure, a bit like a rock star today in some respects, and certainly very dramatic to look at on the stage, as the accounts of his playing make clear. He wrote a lot of music for the piano, some of which is clearly designed to show off his own or the pianist's abilities. But he only wrote this one sonata. There is a one possible clue as to what this sonata might have been about, or at least what it might have been that set it in motion of this imagination, in the dedication. Liszt completed this sonata in 1853, and he dedicated it to the German Romantic composer Robert Schumann. For an increasing number of people, Schumann was the hero of the German musical Romantic movement. And Liszt was a great friend, and he admired the way that Schumann pushed boundaries in his forms, created new forms in the process, brought in literature and new and surprising ways into his works. And by the time that the sonata was published in 1854, Schumann had already suffered his final mental collapse and made his dramatic and terrible suicide attempt. He'd thrown himself into the River Rhine and only been pulled out at the last moment. The last two years of Schumann's life were spent in an asylum. Liszt's piano sonata had its premiere in 1857, the year after Schumann died, and there must have been some who found its content uncomfortably prophetic. Mm -hmm. 
Schumann's widow, Clara, hated the sonata. Blind noise, she called it. It's really too awful, and now I have to thank him for it. But after all she'd gone through, probably the last thing she wanted to hear was a work that in any sense held up a mirror to recent experience, especially not one publicly associated with her husband's name. But there's so much more to Liszt's piano sonata than anguish and turbulence. It's one of his most admired works, even admired by some who are normally rather resistant to Liszt, the kind of people who think he's just an empty showman, an extrovert exhibitionist with no inner intensity, no inner meaning. Perhaps for some, the very absence of a title is in itself a, a bit of a help. Liszt had placed himself firmly on the progressive side of an ideological divide that was deeply entrenched in his own time. In his case, this meant rejection of classicism and any notion of absolute music, music that's simply about itself. Like his friend and later son-in-law, Wagner, Liszt proclaimed that music suffered by being treated as an end in itself. It needed to be reunited with the other arts, with literature, painting, or at least with some verbally explicit poetic idea. All his later large-scale works have programmes, or at least some indication of what in non-musical terms they're about. But here, piano sonata in B minor. That's all. No further clues. Now, as I said, that hasn't stopped people from looking for meanings. There have been suggestions that this is also based on the Faust legend, like Liszt's Faust symphony. Some other people have suggested echoes of Milton's Paradise Lost. Others have looked for autobiographical connections. Others, too, have suggested that maybe the dedication to Schumann indicates a portrait of a fellow artist. It does seem to have inspired some very ingenious interpretative feats. Yet so much of this music really does invite interpretation. This theme, for instance, surely this has to be a love theme. this maliciously chuckling, harmonically questioning motive in the bass. It's devilish. Perhaps this is Goethe's Mephistopheles himself. But somehow, no matter how much we may want to attach labels to these motives, none of them have quite stuck. Take that allegedly Mephistophelian motive. In Goethe's Faust, Mephistopheles announces himself as the spirit that endlessly denies. Now, in Liszt's Faust symphony, begun the year the sonata was published, Liszt reflects that idea brilliantly by not giving Mephistopheles a theme of his own. Instead, Mephistopheles could only parody, distort other themes from the symphony. In other words, musically, he denies, negates them. Perhaps that's an even better translation of Goethe's word, vernight. But this motive here in the sonata isn't a parody or a distortion of something we've already heard. The sonata's only just begun. This theme originates, and other very different themes grow from it. 
particularly from the characteristic repeated notes, which sound very metallic on a low piano. The repeated notes are also a leading characteristic of what I said might be the love theme. feature of this deeply undemonic theme that appears a little later. If the love theme is expressive of the hero's feelings, then this is maybe the feminine response. That's in the 19th century concept of feminine maybe, when women were seen as gentler, more passive, yielding creatures than the active, heroic male. I think that gives us a fairly clear idea of a Listian heroine. The more you get to know Liszt's sonata, the more these kind of connections between motifs emerge. Now, this is a kind of transformation that was pioneered by Liszt. It helps create that sense of narrative, of storytelling in his symphonic poems and in the Faust Symphony. Few would disagree that he helps create a similar sense of narrative drive in the piano sonata. And not everyone, it seems, needs to explain this work in terms of literary programmes when they hear it. Now, this must be partly because the sonata is so satisfying on a formal level. There's nothing that needs explanation for that musical narrative to make sense. Nothing so illustrative or surprising that the intellect says, why is that there? It all seems to make sense in musical terms. It's a remarkably successful structure, as well as a daringly original one. There weren't that many one-movement sonata-like works before the list. Now, Liszt did know one example very well. Schubert's Wanderer fantasy for solo piano. This is in one connected movement with linked sections like the four movements of a symphony, all based on a motive from his song Der Wanderer. It's proudly proclaimed right at the start of Schubert's fantasy. repeated note pattern left its mark on Liszt when he came to write his own one-movement sonata. Now, Schubert's transformations of his motive are imaginative, but Liszt's are far subtler. His sonata never sounds as though it's fixated with one motive, as Schubert's fantasy tends to. The relations are complex but organic. Take the opening of the sonata. Now, given Liszt's reputation as a showman, you'd expect something attention-grabbing, maybe like the beginning of the Schubert. And indeed, Liszt's first idea does make us listen, but that's partly because the character initially is so weirdly bare. 
Liszt even marks the first bar sotto voce, under the voice. First, we have an idea that's so bare it's hardly an idea at all. Simple, hushed, repeated staccato notes. It's almost as though the pianist has arrived on the stage and has just started trying out the piano before he begins the main sonata. Then comes a strangely impassive descending minor scale. That becomes more chromatic, more dissonant, a moment or two later, as Liszt shifts a couple of the notes out of place. This scale seems so unpromising as an idea and yet it plays an absolutely vital role in the continuity of the sonata, often engineering transitions, and these changes in mood have to be judged perfectly. It's almost like the character of the ghost of Virgil in Dante's Inferno, guiding the poet from one circle of the Inferno to the next, leading as we move from one scene into a new one. Listen to the way the scale emerges from the fury of the first big climax. We hear it, first of all, in the depths of the left hand, and then leads beautifully into what I've already called the love theme. There's one other key motive that we've heard, but we haven't underlined in marker pen yet. Near the very start, after those weirdly hushed staccatos and scales, Liszt sounds an idea which seems the embodiment of the romantic, tragic hero, the man of action, even though it's almost immediately challenged by those grim, devilish chuckles in the bass. (laughs) 
This theme particularly has its share of swashbuckling musical adventures. It's so striking in its own right that you'd have thought it was less susceptible to transformation. But Liszt has at least one surprisingly academic adventure in store for it. A fugue, or something like a fugue. Now, romantic composers are often accused of trying to write fugues at the very point that they're running out of ideas on how to develop. Yet that's emphatically not the case here. Liszt combines this theme brilliantly with other motives from the sonata, especially the demonic repeated note figure. describe this sonata formally. And rather entertainingly, there have been lots of arguments about what precisely is what. You could almost imagine musicologists coming to blows about it sometimes, so intemperate is the language in which they express themselves. The tools for musical analysis are all about defining, pinning something down, taking a butterfly and pinning it to a piece of card. That seems to be the goal. Yet so often it leaves me wondering if some of these people have ever heard of concepts like ambiguity or paradox. Those are the very kinds of things which are beloved of romantics, and especially the great romantic to whom Liszt dedicated this sonata, Robert Schumann. Perhaps the search for definition structurally and programmatically misses the point. Liszt could have written something in demonstration sonata form and with a program if he'd wanted to, but he didn't. He wants to meet us halfway. He wants our imaginations and our intellects to do some of the work too. The ending is especially interesting. The love theme seems to be building to a big, bravura-flourishing close. No surprises there for those who think they know but don't love Liszt. And that does seem to have been Liszt's original intention. But at what seems like the last moment, Liszt cuts off the surging upward momentum and a hushed, highly reflective coda begins. Then that demonic chuckling bass motif makes a bid to have the last word. But no, it now seems to be a chastened version of what I call that romantic man of action theme that's going to have the final say. Surely that's the end. 
But then, didn't those quiet, low piano chords remind you of something? The hushed staccato notes from which this remarkable work began? And on cue, the mysterious, deep, descending scales return to provoke a thoughtful, I'd even say curiously wise ending. Thank you. 